We're thrilled to be partnered with Ocala Breeder Sales for 2023. OBS sells more two-year-olds than any other sales company in the world. OBS two-year-old sales combined account for 14% of the graded stakes placings since 2018. OBS is truly an international marketplace. OBS horses have been purchased for buyers from 49 of the 50 U.S. states, Korea, Japan, the Middle East, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Europe. Make sure you don't miss the 2023 spring sale kicking off on Tuesday, April 25th and running until Friday, April 28th. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for the races of Saturday, April 22nd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn bunker once again. Quick reminder that uh, if you sign up for our In The Money Plus service now, you get our derby package. You can even just think of it as signing up for our derby package. For more information about that, go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. Also, make sure to check out our In The Money YouTube channel. Lots of new exclusive content. Coming on there, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, do all that good stuff. But we are here to look at these races for Saturday, and we're going to start off at Keeneland. And the first guest I will introduce is uh, a first-timer on these airwaves. I had the pleasure of getting to know him over the course of these last few months and really uh, enjoyed chatting with him about uh, various projects and then got to see him make a huge splash on the leaderboard at Keeneland in the grade one gamble from um, the Triple H podcast, the other Triple H podcast. He is Paul Halloran. Paul, how are things? Hey, Pete, how are you? Very good. Things are great. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. we got a couple questions for you before we look at this uh, Keeneland pick five on Saturday. And to do that with us, very frequent guest on these airwaves also happens to be the Keeneland morning line maker. If one's head is not in the sand, he is. Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? God, talk about putting a scarlet letter on me by introducing me like that. I mean, that's that's not a hat you necessarily want to wear without risk. <laughs> I usually just give you the old from in the money podcast.com, but I, I don't know why. I had that thought. It feels like there might be some people out there who need to know that you make the key in the morning line. So I you figured I'd Apparently, I'm still somewhat anonymous despite doing a thousand hours <laughs> a year of podcasts and calling races, playing contests, doing things like that. I'm, I'm still somewhat unknown. That's good. You could be hidden and you could be hidden in plain sight. So, Paul, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the contest. Can I ask you a tough question? Can, can we go that way? You can do whatever you want, sir. So knowing the scores, you know, there was one recent Keeneland contest where the score was around 50,000. But to end up with the score that you did, 60,000, um, was this. Why did you decide to shoot for that number? Was it an accident? Um, another way of putting it, why did you overbet the pot? Well, going in, Pete, like think like everyone else, I think the common thinking was, you know, about 35, 37, you know, that 15 times multiple. Uh, I was at just about, just over 15 going into the in Italian race. My plan going in, was to to get to that double in Italian and Tarabi. And I know there's been some talk about, well, why not just bet both of them to win? I had I could not have envisioned a scenario where Tarabi was going to go up at five to two. 
even without big contest bets, you know, skewing it even further. So I was thinking of maybe trying to get to a, I was thinking the in Italian Tarabi double would come back at maybe four to one. Um, totally you know, and, a one to two and a two to one. Yep. You know, right. And so when I did it, you know, I had the 15. Um, I wasn't going to play. I did play three tickets. Uh, I did have a second horse in the last race that would have got me to the same, roughly the same total. Um, and I did have one ticket with myth, with the moonlight. I thought if an Italian was were going to get beat, which was unlikely, it would be with, with, with the moonlight. But was I trying to get to 60? Absolutely not. It was just a case of after listening and listening and listening to guys who know a lot more about this than myself, uh, Nick and JK and Matt Miller and Drew, you know, I wasn't going to leave a thousand in the account for the last race thinking, well, if I have to, I'll play two $500 tries. It was, it was all going on uh, starting with the 10th race. So, and, and as I said on our podcast last night, Pete, I probably was just, blissfully unaware enough to do it <laughs> it's hard because you if you shave some off that ten thousand and then the double goes the wrong way it's it's amazing how when you're betting at that level how how much the difference the you know the difference between a four dollar double and a five dollar double could be the difference between winning and losing and it, and it just ended up being you know whatever it was a six dollar seven dollar double and, and that's yeah it's making more sense as you as you talk it through um congratulations i, I imagine you're, you're still flying from the result yeah well everyone's been great you know starting that day in the room uh, i had a chance to meet nick in person for the first time we've communicated dozens of times and uh drew coatney who you know obviously one of your guys uh he was genuinely you know, I think he would have been happier if he had won, but he was really genuinely, genuinely happy for me. And, you know, uh, Howard was there, uh, Howard Kravitz, you mentioned our podcast, the HHH, and Kyle Roscoe was there. And, you know, we got a chance to celebrate a little that night. And, uh, yeah, the response of the people uh, on the inside, if you will, uh, has been really gratifying, and, and I, I greatly appreciate it. As I said on our podcast last night, I'm under no delusions that I'm an expert in anything. I mean, I think and 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 I hope I can write a little bit, and and you do too. But uh, other than that, I'm I'm under no delusions that I'm any better than anyone else. It just it was a day that uh, everything kind of fell together. Great stuff. We'll have Drew on a little bit later to talk about the kickoff of Woodbine. But for now, let's go to this uh, pick five. For Keeneland on Saturday, April 22nd, we start things off with this three-year-old maiden special weight event going six and a half on the dirt. Paul, as our guest, we'll have you kick this one off. Well, I have two A's in the race, uh, Pete. Uh, I went with the, the seven and six, um, the first timer and the second timer from uh, from Steve Asperson. I was happy to see Asperson win a race yesterday. I believe going into that, he had been kind of sitting on on zero. Um, you know, Cox's numbers are obviously really good. He's first time maiden starters. Uh, he's he's hovering around twenty percent. It goes closer to twenty five at Keeneland. Um, and you know, I, I try in these cases to have a mix of first timers, and I try to include what I think is the horse 
who has previously run, who the best of them is. And, you know, I think that 73 buyer with the six looks pretty good. So those are my top two in the race. And I have a few other backups, but those are the two on my A line. We'll come back and get you to name check your backups. But first, let's bring in Nick to get a sense of how he's going to start off this uh, pick five on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I, I make class actor the five to two morning line favorite. And I think I definitely had memories of Saudi crown from Sunday afternoon, uh, pretty fresh in, in thinking about that. But, you know, as far as, as workouts go and first time starters go, uh, my understanding is that the, the four and five are both horses that have impressed in the morning. And you can see a little bit of it with some of those bullets sprinkled into their work tabs. The dam side on the four, Mr. Keating, is not huge by any means. It's a it's a pretty thin dam side until the some of the older generations. But um, this is a horse that does have some pedigree going back for Mary Lou Whitney, the estate of Mary Lou Whitney now. And uh, Moreau, one door to the outside. This is a Judmont pedigree and a horse that, that I guess was purchased privately. I don't know. I did not look up what happened with, uh, with this horse as far as sales go. But now in the care of Andrew McKeever, who is capable of of having one ready on debut. Spites Towns are excellent first time out. Uh, we're hitting at a 16% clip, still, even as he's gotten a little uh, little longer in the tooth. So I agree with Paul on the six and seven. I had no no argument. I couldn't miss the opportunity to make a cheeky comment, hoping that Salevo ended up being a better horse than Kinchin. <laughs> there may be some there may be some family squabbling about uh, about that one. Um, and did you see that my runner that I was involved in, um, Salivo Spritz, got claimed out of the maiden yes. claim on Sunday? I was shocked. Did you did you notice that, Nick? I did not. Somebody claimed that horse. Wow. Yeah, okay. I was I was surprised and disappointed because I thought I thought you know that horse would definitely uh, make that uh, make that connection, but or, or make that condition anyway. Ranking your runners here, Nick, is it four, five, six, seven? Yeah, basically, I think I'm going to use them all somewhat equally. Um, I, I could see, you know, with this being the first leg, if somebody opens up with a significant amount of money, I could see myself making a little bit of an adjustment. It does look like the one cartographer worked quickly at Keeneland back on April 15th. I don't have any insight into how that workout ended up looking, but uh, that's a horse. And I don't love the rail draw either, but that's a horse I think who I could see myself including. But yeah, it looks to me, you know, like like Paul said, basically the six is the best experienced horse. The seven is probably the best first or drawn well also, but the four and five both look like they have some appeal to me. So when you're making the morning line, quick tangent here, when you're making the morning line, where do you get the workout info that you're that you're using in those in those situations? Do you are you asking around? Is there some sort of double secret clocker report that you get to see early? Like how how do you get that workout buzz? Uh, there's a few a few avenues that a morning line maker can take. As much as you, I had a little bit more opportunity on this card because this card got drawn on Sunday, and I didn't need to turn in the line until Wednesday morning. So there was a little bit extra time to, to have some insight into the whole thing. But um, yeah, there's a way to, you know, if you, you know, some, some clockers. And one of the things I, I, uh, I asked about in taking on the job last year was, you know, Hey, can I get some, some clocker info potentially? And so I was told that I could. So yeah, but most of it is, I mean, honestly, most of it is just looking at, at the work tab itself. I also will look and see if there's any XBTV workouts, maybe for horses that have been in South Florida or, uh, you know, or anything like that. So I'll, I'll dig around as much as I can and um, and try and, I guess, crowdsource it, as the, the cool kids would say. <laughs> Paul, well, who did you want me to name check as backups in here real quick before we proceed? 
I had the five and eleven Pete on the B line, and, and Nick mentioned the the one. I had the one on the C line. Okay, excellent. All right, we got that all sorted out, and we proceed to the second race in the sequence. We've got three year old Phillies in the allowance ranks going six furlongs. Nick, you made a uh, favorite here, socially selective, an even money favorite. From a wagering point of view, are you with or against? Ah, man, it's tough to be against her, right? This is a horse that that was a good second to key of life. She was nine to five in there and and really ran credibly. And, and what she did was she validated the big debut at Saratoga from August of 22. You know, that's a tough, it's a tough spot to come back in. The Purple Martin's a race that, uh, that Bill Mott has actually used quite a few times in the past. He ran Frank's Rocket in there uh, going back to her three-year-old season right around when COVID was setting in. It felt to me like Socially Selective was probably just a little bit better than these horses, at least at this point in time. The only problem she'll run into is that the two inside horses have a good amount of speed. Now, will Aunt Becca be as quick on a dirt track as she was on synthetics? That we'll see. But Unsung Melody is very fast. And, you know, I think the game plan there is going to be pretty simple. They're going to go and take them as far as they can. It just felt to me like with Irad dropping in class, second off the layoff, with what looks like a, a pretty hardy work tab coming into here, she just had too much appeal to, to try and get overly clever and, and look elsewhere. So I felt like this was a, a relatively safe spot to single her and uh, give yourself some more options for later in the sequence. I do like the outside draw, and I like the fact that Socially Selective has uplined in both of the in the, both of the races late anyway. Um, feels like that means if somebody wants to go on a mission on the front end, she should be able to sit and get the job done. Paul, any dissent as far as a socially selective here in the seventh race? None. Um, you know, we all in, inclined as I think Nick hinted at, you try to find a way to, to beat an obvious favorite, uh, in a sequence, but, you know, you know, not only did Key of Life come back to win the Grade Two Beaumont, but I believe went off at like two to five or three to five was was really highly thought of going into that race. And you know, you look at the the eighty two and the eighty three, um, and you know, with Mister Mott involved, we're not worried about bounces. Yeah, I I I just know Nick that I'd like to have that Wednesday, August seventeenth. Saratoga race back at 13 to one, which, which looks like quite a bargain now sitting here in April. No it's doubt. funny. I, I was alive in the pick five and I actually used Padma who was her stable mate and a couple of other horses in there. I think there was a highly regarded uh, first time starter in there as well. Um, one or two of them as, as usual. And she just, I mean, she deep six, those horses, right? She just buried them right from the start. And I remember watching the race on my phone and was like, well, at least it was over quickly. <laughs> That was – Miha was in there and, uh, and justifying. So, yeah, it was, it was a salty – it was a super, uh, super salty race. What the, Miha has some crazy pedigree, but it's not – uh, Yeah, Miha is the Rachel's Valentina filly who can't run, as we ended up finding out in, in four starts. But um, she'll make a hell of a broodmare, no doubt about it, being by curling out of Rachel's Valentina. Yeah. I'm going musical, to uh, – musical guru that you are – it, the name of the four devious stairs from Wesley Ward. This has to be an acknowledgement of the grunge era 
song by Marcy Playground, Sex and Candy, right? Very good, Nick. Very good. I love it. I, 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 not my absolute strongest area for music, but you are no doubt correct. Uh, you know, it, it was my era, but I was too busy like listening to you know the, the Who and the Kinks at that point. I, you know, ever, ever the, ever the contrarian. It took me. I came to the '90s grunge stuff like ten years later. But that's a good. That's a very good call and a very hip name. We'll give. We'll give credit where credit is due there. But it sounds like as far as wagering on this race goes. It's one of these situations where we're hoping that sometimes the best way to be a wise guy is to know when not to be a wise guy. That's going to be the case for all of us with Socially Selective in the seventh. We move on to graded stakes action in the grade two Elkhorn. We're going a mile and a half on the turf. We've got a field of 10 going postward with some old favorites, including uh, Red Knight and uh, Channel Maker and Value Engineering. Nick, what numbers will be gracing your tickets? Well, I've just become convinced that Channel Maker is going to run until he's 20. He's, just, he's <laughs> never going to stop, right? He's just, he's, he is, he's truly a remarkable horse. Um, yes. You know, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to make this mainly an in-maker I trust type of situation with Red Knight and Value Engineering. I think both of whom have the, the right running styles. They're each capable of laying a little closer if necessary. Value Engineering seems to have developed a little bit more early speed since he relocated to Maker's Barn. This is a horse that, uh, that Mike Huey purchased um, at the end of last year. And I actually have, I've, I've messaged with Mike quite a bit over the years. And I told him, I, I thought he might end up having some fun with value engineering. He got him for $35,000. Wow. And that is, that is an, as an astute with the money that, are, that is paid right now for horses of racing age. It is remarkable what he got this horse for, but um, anyway, got him for 35,000. He's already a graded stake winner since looks like a major player here. I, I kind of, I vacillated on the morning line here between the two maker horses and actually had value engineering the favorite early. And I switched it late just with red Knight having beaten him last time. I'm not going to be surprised if it goes the other direction. I'm sure I'll get reminded of it at some point on social media as well. So mainly those two for me without filibustering uh, both of you, I don't really see many other opportunities here. I'll probably throw a backup on how street. And I know this is a big ask, but this is a horse who took a really enormous step forward when he was given more ground last time out. So maybe, you know, maybe a horse that's just crying out for the marathon trips, he's going to have to run uh, pretty significantly better, but I could at least see it as a, as one with upside. Yeah. Pace wise. It's interesting. I like to see a horse who's sitting that close on the time form pace map that has the sort of reverse split. In other words, the better closing rating than, uh, than early speed rating. So I can see the case for how street, <laughs> I think you got the line exactly right. I mean, look at last time Red Knight was three to one, value was five, and Red Knight, you know, held hold the held form by held sway by a length. So I think you probably got that one right. Paul, what numbers are you interested in in this featured Elkhorn? I I would say first, Pete, that this is there are two types of races that make I think make Nick's job impossible. Uh the the race with the the six two year old first timers. And then this race with all these established horses that look like several can win. So hats off to Nick and uh, anyone who questions him, uh, spend a day in his shoes. After saying that, um, I was happy to see Nick make the eight, five to one. I mean, the eight, I think, is an underachiever, is not in love with the camera. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I it, Maybe it was value-based when I saw Nick's five to one, although the first my first run through, I did not have the morning lines. Um, I think the horse got way too far behind last time. I think we'll be a little more aggressive. So I'm with, I am using the two makers along with Nick 
but I am going to throw in the Chad and and have three to try to get me through this leg. And just quickly, Pete, on Red Knight, and I know Nick talked about Maker with Value Engineering. Trinity Farm, which is Tom Egan uh, here from the Northeast, he was planning on retiring this horse in 21 after the dreadful Saratoga two starts and sent him to Ocala basically to be retired. And then three and a half months later, got a call from Chad Stewart saying, gee, he wants to be a racehorse again. And uh, Tom Egan of Trinity Farm being astute, knowing that Maker is probably no one better with these old turf marathoners called Maker, asked if he wanted the horse. And you can see what's been done since he brought him back into training. So really neat story on, on Red Knight as well. That's a great story, and it shows how the, the, these uh, these horsemen and uh, the men and women who care for these animals, like they they have a good sense of what's going on. Because since he's come back, all he's done is win uh, three graded stakes, or at least two graded stakes, and maybe a listed stake. But it's uh, definitely had more in the tank after all was said and done. I'm going to list you just as two five eight here. Do you have a top pick, Paul? Yeah, the eight is my top pick. Okay, we'll call it eight two five then. And we will proceed to race number nine, which is uh, our penultimate race in the sequence. More uh, stakes action with the Benelli. Field of seven going postward. Who do you like in here, Paul? You know, I I had in my mind that Skippy Logstocking shouldn't, Safi Joseph shouldn't be relied on outside of Florida. But, you know, the Mountaineer race, I know it's a grade three, but the horse did show up and, and run uh, pretty well in that race. And, you know, one at Tampa, again, only a grade three. But I just think this horse is in form. And I looked at the horses he loses to, and it's a series of Art Collector and Tabor and Mo Donegal and early voting. And, you know, I'm going to use the five on the top line as well. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, it might be risky. Uh, I know Safi is much better uh, with certain horses down there, but I think Skippy's going to be a handful in this race. Yeah, I think when the horse has run through that kind of stat, as Skippy has, I think you can start to get on side. And I think that's a good point about, you know, when you're losing, when you're great running in a grade three and you're running well in grade threes and the desperate looking efforts are against legitimate grade one horses, you can upgrade a little bit. How about you, Nick? Are you also all about the, the top of the market in here? Can we pull in something at a bigger price? No, I'm going to try and get a little clever and maybe I'll, I'll outsmart myself, but the, the problem, and I agree with Paul's sentiment. I mean, the horses that could be long stocking his face, the horses he's been beaten by are just a, they're a different breed compared to these. The problem is that Safi is, is on a 34 race losing streak with horses in graded stakes coming off of Lasix. And that is exactly what's going on with Skippy Longstocking. Now, he is a horse that has run well without Lasix in the past, so it makes you a little bit less concerned. I think I'd be worried about a horse that maybe, you know, only had four or five starts, all of which were with Lasix. I, I thought he ran well at Tampa last time out. I don't have a complaint about the performance at all, and, and I think he's very, you know, he's very much the horse to beat. I, I think I got him right price-wise. He looks like a horse that's going to take an awful lot of money. I could see him maybe going under the 7-5 to five with Rattle and Roll, you know, having a few question marks. I'm, I'm intrigued by Trademark and Tawny Port, and I know that both of them look like outsiders in a way, but as far as Trademark goes, you know, Vicky Oliver is a trainer that I've always felt like is a little bit better in Kentucky than anywhere else. Yep. And I think that the challenger may have been 
a prep by design. This horse ran much too well in the October race at Keeneland and then followed it up, albeit on a sloppy track with a good enough effort in the off the turf Commonwealth to really be given a long look in here. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to try and get him in the mix. And Tawny Port had a series of races last year where he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was stuck on a kind of a dead inside in the Jim Dandy. Um, he didn't exactly have a, the, the best run of it next time out in the Pennsylvania Derby where he ended up quite a bit wide. You and I talked a little bit about being wide on that track, I think on a different show. In yep. my draft, again, he was buried inside last time out. He didn't do a heck of a lot of running, but you know, th- there wasn't much pace on. And Last Samurai right now, Last Samurai at Oakland is the best handicap horse in the country. So we'll see if, if, you know, if he's beaten tomorrow by charge it. But at least for, for those purposes, I wanted to give Tawny Port another try. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the unconventional route of using the two and seven as A's, and I'm just going to relegate Skippy Longstocking to a backup. I, I can't get behind a deep closer like Rattle and Roll, given the way this pace is expected to play out. So this is where I'll try and, and maybe separate my ticket from everybody else. A couple minutes left. One more race to do. It's race 10. Allowance once again. Five and a half furlongs on the turf. Nick, we'll keep it with you for your thoughts on how you want to close this thing out. I mean, the pace scenario should really play into the favor of Smoke and Jay, who was a, a very good winner last out at five furlongs. I love the, you know, the almost deliberate tactical change and just dragging him back to make one run. I think you can really do that when you get into the right scenario pace-wise. So I like him. I like Beer Can Man a little bit as a new gelding for Phil D'Amato, who has a ton of running lines going back that that make him a contender. And I think I'm just going to roll the dice that they're going to fly here. So the other horse that I'll use is Mark of the Z, who's been a little bit better at uh, Keeneland than anywhere else. And, you know, a horse like Just Might has to prove to me that he's still a racehorse. I don't know if the, the signs are all there. He didn't end his 2022 well. And he botched the break last time out. And I don't like when veteran horses suddenly can't get out of the gate. That's a that's a bad sign, generally, that they've gone the wrong direction. So I'm going to have him prove it to me a little bit one more time. And I'm going to try and, and get through here with the uh, the 2, 3, and 8. Paul, what about you? What numbers will be on your tickets to try to close this thing? You know, I, I think it's an extremely tough race, Pete. And Nick mentioned it. And, and I'm really gambling that this race is going to completely fall apart. Uh, I hope they could maybe go like the 20 seconds that uh, Smoke and Jay closed into at Gulfstream, 20 and 2. Uh, I, I have closes to finish it out. And, and my top two are the eight, who Nick mentioned, Mark of the Z. And I'm actually, and uh, maybe I'm getting over clever here too, but I'm going to use the five, front run the Fed, who running lines aren't going to overly impress you, but when he gets the right setup, uh, where he might just be able to come over the top and grab all of them late. Uh, I, I want horses like that in this race. And uh, so the, the, my top three are the eight, five, and two. I agree on Smoke and Jay coming off a monster effort, huge close last time. And should, again, if, if the pace develops the way I think and hope it will, it, it suits him very well. Terrific stuff, gentlemen. I've got folks waiting in the green room, so we'll cut it short. But uh, love the two of you together. Maybe we'll do that again at some point soon. Paul, uh, Godspeed in all your tournament efforts and over on the, the, the Triple H show, which folks can find. I think YouTube is the best way to do that. Yep. Uh, do you have a Twitter you want to give out real quick? Uh, my Twitter is at P-K-H-C-O-M, C-O-M-M, as in communications. Good stuff. All right, boys. Have a great weekend. And we'll Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good luck. As you know, In the Money Media is partnered with Keeneland to promote their 2023 spring meet. 
The meet's going now and will go until April 28th this weekend. We've got the grade three, $300,000 Benalai stakes for older horses going a mile and an eighth on the dirt, plus a ton of other great action. We've got daily coverage of the races as well as special pick five and turf pick three analysis over at inthemoneypodcast.com. Make sure to get involved and play Keeneland. Next up on the show, Santa Anita is back with its Hollywood meets to carry us through the end of, I think it's the end of June, next few months anyway. Very thrilled to be working with them. We talk all the time about the various contest opportunities, both free and paid. You can check those out at santaanita.com slash contest. And when it comes to Santa Anita, there are two people whose work is widely available, who frankly, I don't want a better race out there without reading. One of them plays for uh, the home team, the house. He can be read over at inthemoneypodcast.com. He does a fantastic job. He is Dean Kepler. Dean, what's up? Hey, uh, Pete, Frank, good to be here with you guys. How are you guys doing? And that oh, Doing great. And that Frank uh, reference there, you can read him every day of racing with a detailed analysis, um, typically of the late pick four and the golden hour bets. He is my uh, co-author, and we were edited by Dean back in the day. Frank Scatoni, how about this for a little re- publishing reunion, Frank? I-, I love it. It reminds me of that picture that Dean posted on Twitter, uh, or you did, Pete, not too long ago, of the three of us at the Belmont Stakes many, many moons ago. It looked like we were on day release from uh, <laughs> from a mental institution, but uh, we had a fun time that day, and I'm, I'm glad to be reunited with you guys today. That's actually not far off a description of the DRF staff in those days, I think. That's, <laughs> you're, not, you're not too far off. And the, the next publishing reunion we do, Frank, we gotta find we got to find Fred Hills and do something about Nabokov. Oh, going. my goodness. Wow. That, that's a name from the past right there. I, I hope Fred is still around. Days. Exactly. I hope he's still around. All right. Let's dive into these races. Race number six is the first one we're going to talk about. It kicks off the late pick five, and we've got an allowance race for fillies and mares. And we, we're going uh, we're going six and a half, and this is six and a half on the downhill. Uh, Frank, you are the you you are more the guest than than Dean, who works for the house here. Let's start off with you. What numbers uh, do you like on your tickets to get this thing kicked off? Well, I work for the other house, the Santa Anita house, because I, go, I get my write up on the on the Santa Anita on the Santa Anita website, and uh, I did the pick the late pick four for this day. Um, and, and, you know, as you know, we're kicking it off in the late pick five. So this race is not in my write-up. Um, but I thought this was one of the more interesting races in the card. And I actually, um, I wanted to take a stand in this race because I was a little a little spready in, in the next couple of races. And, and what I thought was a pretty tough sequence. So um, I thought Pammy's Ready, number seven at five to one, would be a, a, a really good horse to kind of, you know, dig my heels in to kick off this late pick five. Um, you know, I do think this is a competitive race and I wouldn't be surprised if anyone won, but down the hill, I love tactical speed from the outside. Those horses always get the best trip. They're forwardly placed. They're in the clear. Um, they get to save the ground. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, the opposite of, of, of the left-hand turns because you make that sharp dog leg to go down the hill. So those horses are inherently have an advantage uh, and if you go back to her run in the unzip me down the hill last year, I think that she ran second, but I think that was probably the best race she's ever run. Uh, she lost to a really fast uh, D'Amato horse named Connie Swingle. Um, you know, 
she makes the second start of her form cycle. And I think the icing on the cake is that Hernandez, who, you know, he had a couple of options in here. He shows up to ride. So I was going to single her as an A to start the pick five. And then uh, I was thinking about maybe using Kitty Katana, one of two D'Amato horses in here as a B. I've always liked her. I know she pulled up in the Buena Vista, but she was favored in that race. And, you know, I really think it's possible that she just didn't like the good going. Uh, if you look at her race three back, also on the good going, uh, one silk socking beat her. You know, it wasn't Kitty Katana's best race. So I think back on firm ground, you know, D'Amato's not going to run her if she's not right. So um, those are the two horses I'm going to focus my action in on. Uh, but I do think Pammy's ready is going to be, you know, on the majority of my tickets. I like that point about the unzip me. Just looking at time form wise, that was the, the fastest uh, figure that she's run. We know how this can be a total horse for course uh, situation on the downhill. Dean, let's bring you in to get your thoughts. Yeah, uh, like Frank, I'll be using uh, three here on my ticket. Uh, I'll also be using Kitty Katana and Pammy's Ready. But my top pick here is a little bit of a price. It's uh, Princess Adelaide, who's 5-1 to one morning line. This filly has won two of her last three starts. Uh, she makes her downhill turf to be today. But I think she's going to be in front, and I think she's going to like this course. She's by multiple grade one winner, Golden Sense, who gets a, a you know a, a solid 15% with his turf sprint runners. And I think, yeah, you know, she's going to be on the front here, and I think she's going to take to this course, and she's going to be my A here. But I'll also use the three and seven as backups. I like the sound of it, and it sounds like we will be in pretty good shape as we head to this late pick four. Frank's uh, usual dominion when it comes to the the, the uh, write-ups on the Santita website, which also link out to Dean's comments on uh, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It has another of other great resources as well. We suggest folks check that out. Race seven is a maiden claiming event. $20,000 level for a three to five year old fillies and mares, six furlongs on the dirt. Dean, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, Pete, this and Frank, this looks like a, a mad scramble in here for me. So, you know, I'm going to go out and go on a limb and take a price horse here. I'm going to take number three, Roof of Red Knot, who's 12 to one morning line. Has great speed, adds blinkers today. And I'm just, you know, thinking perhaps he's going to get in front and keep going here at the six furlong distance. He makes his second start off the bench. Um, I also made a case for number six, uh, Casia ships in from turf paradise for this. And if you go back to that March 11th race, it was pretty decent. She made up some ground late to finish fifth. Uh, that race has produced a couple next out winners. And in my third slot here is number two, gray magic has worked steadily since the December, 2022 long awaited, uh, try there, debut try there. And this jockey trainer combo has has had some good success with these mating claiming first time starters here. So for me, it's a three six two, but I definitely looks like a spread race, uh, you know, on the multi race exotics here. All right, Frank, who do you have to potentially add to this spread, and what do you like as your best pick? Yeah, you stole my thunder, Dean. I thought I was real clever giving out a twelve to one shot here. I also like Rufa Rufa Red Knot number three uh, for the for the same reasons you mentioned. Uh, this horse came off. Uh, an almost year layoff last time showed really, really sharp speed. You know, Pete, this is a horse that we, we would normally call a, a flow upgrade from racing flow. The flow for that race was a 187. Uh, and this horse was, was ahead by, you know, one and a half lengths at the first call. So this horse was guns blazing off the layoff. Uh, should be much tighter now. This four-year-old is going to add blinkers for the second start of the form cycle. And uh, if you look at the plot on optics, which, which you know, you know, I use, Pete, uh, there's a lot of separation. So this horse has a major, major pace advantage in here. 
you know, then again, we're dealing with, you know, very unreliable animals. So she could stop again, just like she did last time. But I think at 12 to one, you have to use her, um, you know, not only, you know, on the majority of your tickets, but, you know, also think about maybe doing a win bet. Um, that said, she'll probably be end up going off at like six to one or maybe even less. I think 12 to one's a little, a little too exuberant on that horse. Um, the other horse I use as an A in the pick four was number two, Gray Magic. You know, I don't typically like to uh, focus on debut runners and maiden claimers because my feeling is if they had a whiff of ability, you know, they would at least try them in a start in a you know a straight maiden before before dropping. But you know, Sadler's no dummy; he knows where to put them. Uh, he gets Hernandez to ride this this four year old first time starter, so. I was going to use that other horse as my A. Um, and as far as the secondary contenders go, you know, like Dean said, it's a mad scramble. I mean, I can make cases for one, six, seven, and eight. Like, I just, I don't really trust anyone in here. So, you know, the majority of my action is going to be through the two and the three. Um, and then I'm going to get a little spready on some of the other tickets with, with one, six, seven, eight as B contenders. All right. I think I like the, the sound of that. It seems like plenty of coverage, but maybe a horse that can uh, provide a little value on top. You can see the case that both of you are making on Timeform US just looks so potentially loose and lonely with the three runner in race seven, which brings us to race eight. Starter allowance for three and up, fillies and mares. We are once again, um, oh no, this is this one is not down the hill. This is the traditional configuration, if I'm seeing that correctly, Yes. in, in race number eight. And we'll have a field of nine going postward. Start with a general question, Frank, of, how you approach the these six and a half races differently than the downhill. And then, of course, we'll ask you who you like. Yeah, I, I like these six and a half and six furlong races on the main turf course because I can just I feel like I can just handicap them like I handicap, you know, any other race, um, you know, a sprint race and then also a turf race. Um, I'm not so good with the five and a half and the five furlong races. To me, those those are all about who has early position and who gets the best trip. I feel like in the six and a half, you know, you can account for a little trouble early and still overcome it. So, um, you know, I don't handicap heavily speed-wise like I would for the five or the five and a half. I just look at them pretty much like, like I would look at a sprint race and then also like I would look at a turf race. So I'm just looking at for positioning. Um, you know, good forward position. And then the turf element is, you know, horses that can finish the best. And, you know, um, do you want me to get into the race or do you have follow-up questions? Yeah, no, that sounds like a great description. And, uh, and I'd love to hear how, uh, how your evaluation shakes out. Yeah, yeah. So to that point, I mean, I think, you know, if you're evaluating it as a typical sprint race, number three, Topolina, talk about a horse who should have separation. I mean, she is uh, certainly the fastest early by, by far, and she's going to be out there uh, out there winging it. You know, she was uh, one and a half lengths clear early in a five and a half furlong turf sprint. So um, she's got a lot of speed. And I actually, you know, a lot of, it's a little counterintuitive. A lot of people will see a horse like this and say, oh, this horse can't stay because, you know, lost, lost lengths in the lane going shorter. But, you know, in these six and a half furlong turf sprints, the early pace is a lot slower, um, yep. you know, a lot slower because jockeys are, you know, grabbing a little early to get position because they know they have extra ground to play with. So I could see Topolina going out here and setting a very, very comfortable lead and uh, looking to get the job done. But I am also going to use two other horses. My sneaky horse in here is number four, Paleo's Princess. Uh, it's one of two Mullins runners. Mullins had a terrific classic meet. 
Um, this horse gets top honors for me. I think she's going to run her best race today, third start of a form cycle. She was a little short, uh, you know, when she came off a very long layoff, uh, two back. And then last time she had to break far outside in a five and a half furlong turf sprint. And you don't want to be far outside unless you have really good sharp early speed in those shorter turf sprints. So I think she could just get a really good stalking trip in here, just like she did when she broke her maiden for 50,000 last May over this course. Um, granted, it was going six furlongs, but I like the way she finished up that that day, and I think she could do well at six and a half. And then the other horse I'm going to use as an A is number six, Real Fire. Uh, this combin- uh, this, uh, <laughs> this uh, owner-trainer combination had an unbelievable classic meet. Uh, Steve Knapp training at you know 19%, and horses he had with Les Blake did really, really well. I think this horse is going to run much better uh, than the running line shows last time. This horse had to break from the 11-hole going a mile. We know that's not good. She had you know good forward position, but she got a little tired from that far outside post. I think the cutback will help her uh, tremendously, and she did break her maiden uh, sprinting over the main turf course. So those are my A's, three, four, six, and then uh, you could probably get pretty spready after that, but I'm going to try and stay tight in this race. All right, three, four, and six on the top line for Frank and hoping to keep it there. Dean, how do you see this one? Yeah, I'll also be using uh, the six real fire and uh, the three Topolita on my tickets, but my top heck here was uh, number nine, Cornelia Fort, who uh, is making his grass debut today. It's by Grazing, who has some strong numbers with, his turf sprint prodigy, uh, this jockey trainer combo here of Hernandez and Sadler, almost 50% with a lofty uh, $7 ROI with uh, this claiming angle here, making second start off the claim. And I just think this is going to be a nice horse here at a nice price, seven to two morning line. I'm hoping, you know, if we can get three to one or five to two, that's going to be decent here. So I'll use the nine, six, three on my main tickets here. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can see it with the, the, the unusual heat in the dam side pedigree for Cornelia Fort and having um, shown a little bit of ability on synthetic on debut as one who might just take to the turf in that eighth race. Let's move on to some graded stakes action with the Californian. We've got a mile and an eighth grade two, some very familiar names in here, including defunded the four to five favorite on the morning line. Dean, are you with or against? Uh, I'm reluctantly with here. Uh, the fans of buyer speed figures, old school buyer speed figures. Um, this horse, see this gelding here is what you may call a double buyer advantage based on the last two efforts. Uh, should be tough to beat here with the rail draw. Looks like Hernandez uh, is going to have another, another uh, fantastic Saturday afternoon. He's got a lot of live runners again. And I just, I just can't get past this here. Of course, here's my top pick. Um, for those that don't want a single defunded and maybe spread a little bit, uh, Midnight Mammoth, it's getting a serious class test today, but it's super sharp right now for his new barn. Um, and, you know, if he was able to get this victory here, it would be, uh, you know, a tremendous $50,000 claim if he could pull up yeah. his upset. And then Royal Ship, who's uh, apparently has been – Working extremely well in the mornings, but hasn't been able to parlay those good recent AM works into anything of a, you know, a, a sizable good performance in the afternoon. He's been trounced by, I guess, close to 50 lengths in his last three starts. But having said that, if he, you know, reverts back to some of his better efforts here, he, you know, he certainly could upset and win this race. But 
to me, the one to fund it is A, um, single, and then possibly the four and six on backup tickets. Backups or maybe horses to mess around with when it comes to trifectas. How about you, Frank? Can you make any case against the funded, or is this double fig pace advantage going to be too much for all the others to overcome? Yeah, I love I love hearing the double fig uh, reference because that is such an old school, great old school handicapping angle that you never really hear about hear about much anymore. So I love that. I think the fund is going to be really tough. You know, when I when I wrote up the pick four analysis the other day, I had also included Royal Ship as my A. But the more I look at it, and I think for the purposes of the pick five. Um, I think I want a single A defunded so I can have the luxury and a little more money to spread in some of the, the other races. I think you, I feel like you kind of have to take a stand here. Um, but I was with Dean, like it's, a, it's kind of a reluctant, a reluctant single because it's, you know, as, as fast as this horse has run and as, as, as impressive as some of his victories have been, he's never really been that super top tier handicap horse to me. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like, He's he's gotten he's gotten a lot of good setups, uh, you know, thanks to his early speed. And I've just never been like super wowed by his races, but I, I, I you know, he catches another pretty weak field here. So um, I think, you know, you make you can make that horse an A. Uh, Royal Ship, uh, I, I really really wanted to like Royal Ship. You know, poor horse was flight line three back. You know, when <laughs> when, when one of the best horses we've seen in, in a long time. Uh, absolutely destroyed him and you could say that he hasn't been the same since I mean he lost by 19 and three quarters after that and then 15 and a quarter in his comebacker but look Mandela would not be running this horse if he didn't think this horse could could win this race so um, you know you could consider royal ship as as an alternative I think the, the run in the kill row on the turf had to just be a prep just a leg stretcher uh, coming off an October layoff to try and you know get this horse a little, a little foundation to move to the dirt and uh, to, to run a better race. This horse does have races from back in the day that could beat the funded. So um, that, you know, that would be a good alternative if you want to be clever and not use the favorite uh, as a single A or even try to beat the favorite here. Um, and then the other horse I'll mention, um, I have as a B in my write-up, but I, I don't plan on using too many tickets, is, is number five, Parnelli. Um, this horse was meant to have ability and has hinted at ability in the past, but has never really put it all together. Um, you know, that being said, this horse is a five-year-old in good hands with sheriffs, you know, who's eminently patient and sheriffs keeps running the horse in stakes races. So he must think there's some ability here. Um, I don't think this horse is as good as the top two, but I will say this, Parnelli should get a really, really good, really, you know, really good stalking trip. So if that horse is good enough, maybe Parnelli could pull off the upset today. But, um, you know, I'm, I don't have anything really clever in this race, Pete. No, but I think that you both make an interesting sort of in Mandela we trust slash class case for maybe not overlooking Royal Ship on a day where this that hideous paper is going to mean you get, a, you get a good price. But I do think it's a case for me of defunded yeah maybe he's a little bit second tier but he's kind of running against the second tier unless the old royal right. ship so I'm, I'm i'm with both of you guys in in liking you know thinking that might be one that goes pretty formful but i hate i don't hate the idea of having a little bit of royal ship along with the defunded one more race to talk about it is our nightcap maiden special weight three to five year olds um and we're going six and a half on the turf once again, in the traditional configuration, when it comes 
to this late pick five. Dean, how are we going to get paid? Yeah, guys, I like uh, my top pick here is going to be a number six acquired class uh, who probably is going to get a little bit over betting here based on um, his trip last time out. He came off a 10-month freshening, finishing fourth back on March 26th against uh, similar rivals that he's facing today. But he had a lot of traffic issues uh, during that stretch run there when making up some ground along the inside, had to stop and restart a couple times. If you watch the replay, galloped out in front uh, when basically finding his stride too late. Adds blinkers today for Hernandez and Miller, and uh, six will definitely be on my A tickets. The 11, I think, is also another horse you have to throw in there. He's had several close finishes sprinting on grass at this level with some you know, some competitive numbers. Uh, and then uh, my, my third pick will be number two, Abanyan, who makes his U.S. to beat off a 10-month layoff for model. We both know how great he could be with these imports here. Um, and I guess the tip-off maybe is the last five for long best of 33 drill on April 16th, uh, indicating that there's probably some ability here. So for me, it's going to be a 6-11-2 in the nightcap. But like I said, the six will probably get a little bit over bet here based on the trip and the connections. And, you know, may want to spread a little bit underneath. All right. Any other numbers you want to name check or you're feeling pretty good about 6-11-2? I'm going to go with the 6-11-2 here. All right, Frank, let's bring you in for your thoughts on our final race today. And uh, hopefully we'll get this Hollywood meet at Santa Anita off to a good start. Yeah, just uh, two things before I get into the race. Pete, you mentioned the condition of the race. Um, It's for horses who are three, four and five years old. Uh, This is a relatively new, uh, new condition stipulation at Santa Anita. Uh, you know, before it was just open to any any horse who was still a maiden. So you you know you might see a six year old horse pop up every once in a while, but now uh, it's stipulated to horses who are three, four, and five only. I thought that was a little interesting. I started noticing that uh, during the classic meet, and then uh, to Dean's point, yeah, if you go back and you watch the replay of of uh, that race that a few of these horses come out of, uh, I think you want to take the horses in. <laughs> in reverse of the way they finish. So uh, acquired class finished fourth, but I, I think that's the horse, that's the top horse you want out of that race. Um, you know, like Dean said, the horse had traffic trouble in the lane, really never had anywhere to go. And then when the horse finally got clear, Hernandez just kind of shook the horse up a little bit. The horse finished on his own courage and then galloped out uh, better than his rivals that day. Second start of the form cycle, adding blinkers. So that would be the horse I'd take out of that race. And then I would take I would take Bolt Supremacy before single track mind out of that race just because I thought Bolt Supremacy made a, a very, very impressive middle move from way off the pace and had to go about eight wide to do it and, you know, flattened out a little bit, but still managed to hold on to finish finish third. Um, but, you know, Bolt Supremacy and the single track mind have, have had their chances. You know, they've run well, but they've had their chances. So... Um, I was going to use use those two as use those three as B's coming out of that common race with a little more of a B plus lean toward acquired class because I do think that horse will get the most out of that last race and I was going to go with some new faces as my A's to try and shake things up you know uh, Dean mentioned number two Obanian uh, Phil D'Amato does a terrific job with these European imports um, you know whoever he has over there scouting horses for him does an excellent job. Um, you know, I, I really don't know much about that Ross Common race, but uh, the horse ran fourth on soft ground. My feeling is they probably think this horse wants firm ground. So, you know, out to California for, for D'Amato. Uh, so I'm going to look at that horse. 
uh, to run well today at eight to one. And Dean mentioned that bullet work at Los Al. You know, just to throw this out there, general handicapping wise, typically uh, I'm not a fan of horses who just work at Los Al and then start at Santa Anita uh, when it comes to dirt racing, because, you know, a lot of times uh, they might be a little short, uh, but it, it doesn't seem to have as much of an impact on turf. And I've seen D'Amato do this before, uh, you know, work out horses at Los Al and then bring them here and run them on turf and they run really well. So uh, just if anyone's out there looking at that, that kind of pattern, uh, you know, don't let the low sal works discourage you thinking it might be uh, second tier when it comes to the turf horses. Um, and then the other horse I'm going to look at is number five, Neon Lights, another European import. I mentioned that combination of uh, Steve Knapp and Les Blake. Well, when you throw uh, uh, Tiago Pereira into the mix, th that combination is is even better. Um, what a terrific meet, uh, you know, Knapp and Pereira had. And then when you throw the owner, Les Blake, into the combination. Those guys win. They won a lot of races last meet. And, you know, this horse's Dundalk race was 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 pretty solid. Uh, you know, slow into stride according to the trouble line. You know, rallied into third and then was just kind of one-paced in the final furlong. That was at seven on the synth. They bring this horse here to run on the turf, cutting back a little bit in distance. You know, this really isn't Knapp's thing, these imports. But, you know, this, this new owner, Les Blake, has given Knapp, you know, some – some money to spend and scouting some horses and they claimed a lot of horses and you know, maybe, maybe this will become Steve Knapp's thing. I always say thing about trends. You want to get on them before they actually become right. a trend. So um, let's look for Steve Knapp with this, with this import to maybe make some noise today at 10 to one. Well, and I think the time when trainers change their stripes as it were is for new owners, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the classic example, this dates me, but you know, you remember Nick Zito for years at Saratoga was, you know, over a hundred with first time starters. And then he started training for Lapenta and with Lapenta was buying, you know, these fast two year olds at the sale. And then there was that year at Saratoga where, you know, Zito was four for seven with first time start. It's <laughs> it could be the same kind of deal, especially with Knapp and Blake having already demonstrated success in other arenas. I, I yes. would let I would let that trump the the traditional stats. How about you, Dean? I just want to bring you in for a general comment on that because I know you're a bit more trainer stat oriented than either uh, me or Frank, but have you seen that before in other instances where long-term trends can change based on a a, a a new owner for a trainer? Absolutely. You know, you have these um, guys that you're, you know, you're kind of used to doing it one way and, but, you know, and then they kind of make a complete 180 on you. And, and like you said, it has a lot to do with the ownership change there. So, I mean, these are talented guys here, you know, they're not just, uh, you know, one track minded as far as, you know, the horses and the style of training they have. So you get some new ownership in there. Like Frank said, they got some money to spend, you know, and I, you know, I think the five here, like here in the nightcap with Steve Matt is probably, probably going to get overlooked in here. And uh, uh, he's certainly going to probably be a longer price than the two and probably doesn't deserve, you know, to be so here. Interesting stuff. All right, guys, thank you so much. We'll reunite this team in coming weeks to do more of these shows. Really appreciate your help. Read them over on the Santa Anita website, or you can go directly, not just for Dean, but loads of free handicapping content over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, including some early coverage of the Dirty. Dirty, the Derby, the Dirty Derby. Boys, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Dean. We've got a message from our friends over at Naira and Naira Bets. 
If you want to catch the TV schedule, we've got a pretty link for you on our website, inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV. That'll tell you exactly when and where you can see JK, Acacia, Maggie, and the rest of the team. There's also a Naira Showdown game you can play for free. You can find that on their website, as well as Naira Bet's weekly contest. You can find those on the Naira.com website as well. And just a reminder that Belmont Park Racing is going to return on May 4th. For much more, check out Naira.com. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome back a very important figure in the In The Money media network, other than uh, JK and myself, the first person to have a, a show on this network. That show is Redboard Rewind. And it is approaching its fourth anniversary slash 200th episode. He also is on here from time to time uh, guest hosting for me when I'm off running around the world. I'm speaking, of course, of Spencer Luganbuehl. Spencer, what's going on? Doing all right, Pete. Excited to talk some uh, Big A action tonight. And then later on today, I'm going to uh, my second ever wrestling show about five feet from my house, a little indie show. So I'm excited for that as well. Nice. Which company is it? It's a uh, New Jersey New Jersey wrestling. So a uh, good old, if people from, from the old school WWE days, Nunzio is the main event tonight. I can't believe the guy is still nice. wrestling. So yeah, that's cool though. No, no, he's got a, that. That's excellent. I can't believe you've only been to two wrestling shows. We got to do, you got to, you got to up your game, man. There's plenty of them up there by you, Poughkeepsie and places like that. I, I don't know why, why you've been dragging your feet your whole life. Oh, uh, well, it's just something where I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in the bunker, either looking at sports betting <laughs> or, looking at, or at racing. So I, I got to get my feet out. You're right. That's fair. I do run. Uh, I do run a tight ship here at In the Money Media. I've got you. I've got you working uh, pretty hard. So Redboard Rewind, different kind of show for folks who don't know. It's really a bit more on the player development side. Our concept in you know your concept really in in creating it was to go through examples, sort of like an old handicapping books, but to do them in an audio format. Give folks an idea of some of the guests you've had on recently. Yeah. So recently, I've had people like Naira's uh, Sarah Obawi. I just had. Pretty much, I, I listen, we have a lot of good tournament players on, on these shows, but one that I think is just a solid one who explains the game in the way I like to have it taught, uh, Mike Sama to the racing dudes. Sure, just sure. Someone who, you know, has a better grasp coming from a poker background, knowing numbers and stuff like that. I've had guys like um, Clay Sanders on, another one who I love. And my uh, strike racing. One that me and you also enjoy, uh, Brian Natto. So, you know, we're just yeah. going along here. Just glad to, you know, know that four years in the books but coming up on a pretty important episode that's awesome no that's 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 a very good description of it all and yeah how about uh we this ep i'm glad you mentioned mike because this episode we've had on uh we're gonna have uh we've had on paul halloran who's first in that contest we've had on drew who was second and uh so it's good to give a shout out to the guy who ran third and then meanwhile marshall graham also 10 strike also in the money affiliated ran fourth apparently these people with podcasts whether it's uh, racing dudes or or uh, the Triple H show or in the money, apparently we, we know a thing or two about this game. It, it was funny, Mike. Off, off the air goes, it's it, I see him getting mugged by these in the money guys every time I go to now. <laughs> he does pretty well himself. I might have to break out the world's uh, smallest violin. <laughs> that was a great. That was a great result, and and he needs no uh, no assistance from the likes of us. All right, let's dive in to this Aqueduct Pick Six. One of our favorite bets. Uh, I say that about a lot of bets, but it's true. I mean, about the the, the handful that really uh, cater to the horse player. And I do believe this Naira pick six falls into that bucket. We're going to kick things off 
with race number four. We start at 256 Eastern on the Saturday card with an open-looking New York um, allowance race, New York bread allowance race for Phillies and Mares going six furlongs on the turf. What number or numbers will be on your tickets to start this off, Spencer? I think for me in this race, like when you're looking through, obviously I think you have to start with a horse like I'm just kidding, being one of those short-priced horses, but this one's coming off of a class drop out of a dirt race. The first, the other two races on turf look quite good. Had the win second time out with Jose Ortiz in the irons. Jose is obviously back in the irons today as well. I think if you can toss out that last race, you have a layoff, but John Kimmel's 22% on these turf sprints. And I, for some reason, everyone talks, you know, obviously about pace makes the race in these turf races and you want to have closures and stuff like that. A lot of times in these turf sprints, I hear a lot of handicappers talk about how they just don't know how to really handicap these races. Well, I want to find the trainers that know how to get W's in these types of spots. And 22% is somewhere where I definitely want to start. I also think, Lisa's vision on the outside, Jorge Abreu. This one's two for two at the class level. If you look at the race, two back at that good old Belmont from Aqueduct um, course. Jose Ortiz again on that one. Now we go to Manny Franco, who uh, Jorge Abreu does very well with 24%, $1.61 ROI. This one's three for three at Aqueduct with three seconds. I, I just I want horses like this also coming off a layoff. He's not the best, only 11%. But another turf sprint trainer with a positive ROI. Give me the 11, Lisa's vision. And we're also going to go with, I'm just kidding, to start this one off. Which is your top pick of those two? Probably the 11. Okay, 11, 8 for you. I was, and you've already, you, you didn't leave a lot of meat on the bone for me talking about, I'm just kidding. I mean, this is the horse that I was super interested in in this spot. I do think she's going to be ready off this layoff, looking at that workout, two back. I love the Kimmel stat that you shared and just, most critically, I think she's going to get an excellent trip. I, I you know, not uh, not on the lead, um, more of a mid-pack trip, but six furlongs. Something that's often underrated, I think, in these turf sprints is the specifics of the difference between five, five and a half, and six. Six brings closers into it a little bit more, but I also think the fact that there's plenty of pace signed on. There's pace that would go. It, it, it makes you think of a five or five and a half. But going six, that's going to bring a horse with kick and stamina into play. So uh, that's why I wanted to go with the eight. I'm just kidding. I definitely respect your idea about the 11. Lisa's vision as well, especially if that uh, if if this race can be coming apart a little bit late. But I'm sticking with the eight. 11 and the eight for Spencer. Let's move to race number five, the second in the sequence, kicking off the late pick five, New York Bread Allowance race. We're going six furlongs on the dirt. There were two runners I wanted to talk about in this spot. I'll mention first uh, the eight runner, uh, Longren two, who looks on time form like could be loose in this spot. You know, we have the little bit of the question mark of the vet scratch from April 6th and a horse who I feel like if you do the old figure improvement for age trick could be the main danger. The number two, two for charging in this spot um, has more speed than than showed, I think, that last day at Saratoga. But the big angle on this one is just, I think, could be um, just faster than the rest of the competition. I was going to try to get out, nothing too creative here, trying to get out with two of the favorites, um, really the second and third choices, the eight and the two. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. What do you think? Uh, any view, strong views on this fifth race at Aqueduct? I think this is the type of race for me when I'm looking through a card that it's hard to handicap the night before because 
no matter what. And listen, David Aragon is one of the best line makers. You see it all the time. We've seen lines that are bad. His lines are always, always good. This yeah, really good. race where obviously you got to put the horses in early for the pick six. If there is a horse that you either took out and now the public is just crushing with money, like that horse is probably very live. I thought the number three, Brachioli, this one six for seven at Aqueduct in the exacta had that nice uh, third by four lengths last time out. And it was a bit of a slow paced race based off the time form numbers. This is the one that I just won at nine to two. I think the value was there. 376 ROI jockey trainer combo between Barrera and Gomez. And when looking through the rest of the race, I'm trying not to pick chalky horses in here because if it's a four way horse race and everybody is about, even if you think about four to one based on 20%, if they're going to win the race, those horses are going to be underlays. I want to take the overlays. I think longer than two is the one though, that I'm going to take as my secondary horse distance specialist six for 17 at the distance out of eight total wins in life is going backwards a little bit on the buyers, 85, three back down to a 77. Did have an 82 at this level, two back with very, very fast time form, pace fractions, but I don't know why they go to the starter allowance right after that. A little bit scary of a class ideology there for me. I don't want agility. The last two races, you know, are better than the buyer par, but this one loves to run second, three for six at the class level. Proven loser for me. I don't want that one. Uh, Brachioli for me, the top pick, and then we're going to go with Longren too as my secondary pick. Interesting. Yeah, and the starter allowance, you're going for those horses with multiple wins rather than a runner like Agility, and that's kind of the way that I saw it as well. We'll see. That horse certainly fits on numbers, um, so we could get burned, but you got to take stands in this game. Race number six, Maiden claiming 40, New York breads, a mile and a 16th on the turf, and a big full field signed up. Spencer, we'll keep it with you. For me, I am 100% against Addicted to You for a horse that has had plenty of starts. This one, if you look back through, has all the best buyer figures in the race. This one is for sure to take money. I want to take some different ideas in this race, though. I thought a horse like Miles, Creative Cause, Giants Causeway, this one is going to want to go long on the turf. Maybe he wants to go longer, but we're going to get that surface switch. I'm a big Christoph Clement fan for me. Definitely probably my top turf trainer for me in this type of atmosphere at four to one definitely worthy of its chances in this one number 10 october bliss bruce brown another one first time on the turf but has again giants causeway in that pedigree and a decent 319 turf tomlinson mark i just don't want to take horses at short prices but this is the one this is the value pick i think for me of this whole entire pick six may this be the one the 11 from the outside mark hennig 0 for 10 so far at the meet. Not the best turf trainer, 8%. But if you look back, the only start on turf is a 59 buyer. That is pretty much the second best figure in the entire race. And that horse is 10 to 1 compared to 9 to 2 to Addicted for You. If this one wins, you know, hoping that we can still get around the 10 to 1 mark. But these are the type of horses I feel at Naira where they start dipping down. And they go off 6, 7 to 1. But that'll only help me in this type of atmosphere. So that one is going to be my value pick. But I think number one for me will be Miles. Although I made us be the one and then a little bit of October bliss as well. Nine, 10, 11. Is that, did I get that? Did I write that down? Right. Nine, 10, 11, nine, 10, 11. I had maybe, maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but I thought the seven Volker rules was pretty interesting. This horse has not done anything on the dirt, but looking through the pedigree, I think turf could be the surface. We've seen this movie before from, 
David Donk this time of year with horses that have had sort of legs spun on the dirt, then getting onto the turf and running much better. And I like the fact that this horse was bet a little bit back on March 18th, suggesting there may be some talent here. This is a horse that could be double-digit odds, and I thought I had an opportunity to uh, just wake up when it came to when it came to the turf. I wasn't as against addicted to you as you were. I definitely thought, you know, just made sense on numbers, as did the 10 runner um, uh, October Bliss. But I was going to take a little bit of a shot with the seven on top, backing up with the four and the 10. And we'll see if we can't get out of this race still alive when it comes to this pick six, which moves us to race number seven. Um, and this is a $30,000 claimer going a mile and a 16th. I thought the horse, this is a, a favorite, but a horse that just seemed utterly logical to me. More than work coming off a steady body of work at uh, Turfway this winter, getting back onto the turf, which may end up being the best surface. And I thought would get an absolutely beautiful trip. Just the classic has that speed to get into position. And I think has enough finish to uh, attack on the turn and go buy the ball. Not going to be a hell of a lot of price for more than work, but one I wanted on side. Are you with or against the presumptive heavy favorite more than work in this spot, Spencer? This is the hardest horse for me, I think, in the entire sequence because Brad Cox, listen, everyone knows how good Brad Cox is, but this horse has never been on dirt, and I don't want to take short-priced horses trying a service for the first time. That's like the old school, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm listening to Bayer and all these guys, you know, shouting in the back of my mind, you don't play this horse. Don't play this horse at six to five. You know what's going to happen. So I'm probably going to end up being the bonehead that will use this one as a B. And I'm going to say that now I want to save with this one, but I thought there's some interesting thoughts in here. I thought more rewards from the inside, you know, technically for me, it's a class drop coming out of that, that starter allowance. But the thing for me here is Linda one to seven days, 30% with almost a $3 50 cent ROI. It, it whatever she saw in that last race, she liked enough to get this one right back in at eight to one with a suspect favorite like that. I'm definitely willing to put that one on top as my top pick. And for me, I, I thought looking through the rest of the field, there wasn't a ton in there. And I thought maybe splendid summer for Pletcher. If you look at the last two races, they were so good. Now comes off a long layoff. But listen, Todd's done fine with that type of idea. Not the best ROI, maybe, but 19% good enough for me. I, I'm not going to let splendid summer beat me here. Just like I'm probably going to let David Donk, your top pick, beat me in the last race. So for me, splendid summer is going to be in there as another A. So for me, it's one, three as A's. And I'm going to use more than work as a B. All right, the nine on the backup line. Let's talk about uh, the featured race, New York Stallion Series stakes going here in race number eight. Six and a half furlongs on the dirt and a field of eight heading postward. Spencer, we'll keep it with you. I, I think something that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to state breads, a lot of people just say, oh, it's the, the weaker part. You know, they're not, op it's not open bread races, so they're just going to be weaker races in general. Even horses that are just consistent. And listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not, Changing the wheel here. General Banker at two to one, just solid since the last time he won a uh, Stallion Series race on the mud in Aqueduct last year. Was in the Gotham, the Withers in the Wood, ran pretty much the same type of figure. I don't really see anyone jumping up. If Lifetime of Chance beats me after a 91 buyer when this horse can't even run, you know, 270s back to back, this one's going to beat me. But General Banker for me just seems the one. I'm hoping that with that 91, you can keep General Banker, you know, above two to one, but it's probably going to be more like a seven to five, three to two type of race in this type of one. 
I actually had a different, I mean, I get those two horses, obviously, but I was going to try East Coast Girl as a potential wire job in this spot. Horse just looked the best speed to me coming out of a race where um, the pace was very fast early and, you know, got involved uh, in, it got, got hooked and, and continued to just try all the way to the line. I thought maybe East Coast Girl gets loose and uh, springs a mild upset of those two favorites, Lifetime of Chance was the one I wanted. I hear what you're saying. You're expecting figure regression, but this is a three-year-old in the spring. And sometimes they just, that, you know, if that represents anything like a new level of ability, I think Lifetime of Chance has a very good chance to win this one. So I was going to play it uh, one and three to your, uh, to, to your uh, four. And you, you, wait, what was your backup number here? Did you want it four three or did you just want no, the four? just the four, just the four. In this okay. One. Just the four for you. Who, who I get in on your say, so I'll take another longer look at and probably try to work into some uh, backup line somewhere along the line. Next up, we have our nightcap Phillies and mares in the allowance ranks going seven furlongs on the dirt. Spencer, who are we going to use to close this thing out? I am going to try to avoid Sterling Silver has all these good figures from last year, but they ended up in a handicap at Tampa. Uh, for me, it's just a weird spot to debut the horse. Maybe they're just trying to get fitness in over at Tampa. Sometimes you, you hear so much about Oakland being that heavier surface. Sometimes you hear that a little bit about Tampa Bay as well. I thought Cupid's girl here made a lot of sense coming out of these starter allowances, just showing that nice improvement last time out for Timmy Ryerson gets the W and they thought that race was good enough to get put into this spot. I'm going to give it another long shot. And this is one that, you know, if you want to use in the pick six, you absolutely can. But I would also try to use in verticals. And that's going to be chasing Kara. This one is a proven loser at the level, but has slowly improved the buyers from 38.53 to a 69. Mitchell Friedman, one for 25 on the year. But listen, ran fourth by seven at 34 to one last time out. Don't let this one beat you in tries and exactas when this one all of a sudden just, you know, runs an even better race, but not good enough to get the W. Interesting. I mean, I could see a good trip for Chase and Karen. We'll take another look for vertical purposes, but we're a little oppo here. And basically that's because I am a very master of the obvious in this spot, looking to the two, to the two favorites asset purchase, who I think also will get an excellent trip either on or near the lead. This runner, uh, that was a day where it seemed like you wanted to be coming from a bit further off the pace and according to the time form algorithm anyway, and ran pretty well, disappointing at four to five, but I think could go a lot better here having that first start against winners out of her way. And then the one Sterling silver, I mean, yeah, I don't mind the tamp, but you see, you see a lot of horses turn up there um, because horsemen just seem to like that surface. So Mm -hmm. now we're second off the layoff. This was a horse that, you know, has graded stakes form. And I think, you know, on her best can certainly get the job done. So I'm very obvious there. Four and one. Uh, Spencer Clett trying to get some clever. Eight and seven. Um, I'll try to work those horses into some combination so I don't end up with uh, egg on my face. But there you have it. That's our dive into the the pick six. Spencer, you'll be back on these airwaves soon with Redboard Rewind and maybe getting you involved once again to host the Kentucky Derby simulcast show if you're game for that. Listen, if there's two, if there's three things now in life, you know, it's death taxes and Nick Tamaro is going to be on the Derby show for me. And I'm hosting the simulcast for you. That's a death. <laughs> excellent. Excellent stuff. Appreciate you, my brother. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Nunzio. Um, you know, hopefully that'll be a good show. You got to give me a full report back and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. We'll do. 
check out an exciting new way to bet with your friends or amongst the Cut community. Cut, K-U-T-T dot com. You're going to want to download the app for the best experience and you can get a 10% sign-up bonus up to $100 in your pocket if you use the promo code in the money. Learn more at cut.com. Great place to bet the hockey and basketball playoffs as well as so much more. Cut.com. Put your money where your mouth is. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome Woodbine back to the racing calendar, back to the In the Money media portfolio of partners. They kick off a bit of a soft launch, I'd say, on this Saturday. Turf racing isn't back yet, and uh, it's great, though, to have them running around up there at the uh, the Oval in Ontario, a track I love to attend and love to, love to support. And the man who we bring on these airwaves to talk about Woodbine, boy. Has uh, have things happened for him in his uh, horse playing career since the last time we had him on? You know him as our business manager. You might know him as the Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion and a man who made a real nice swing at the Grade One Gamble last weekend at Keeneland. He is Drew Coatney. Drew, what's up? Hey, morning. I'm doing good. How are you? Things are good, man. Very excited to have uh, Woodbine back in the fold. Busy, busy week here on the network, securing a bunch more fun partners for the summer. That's always uh, always a good thing. But I have to say, uh, last weekend at Keeneland, what a blast that was. Are you uh, are you still flying from that result? Are you feel, feeling any FOMO about just getting second instead of first? What are you, uh, what, with a few days to reflect, what are you thinking about the grade one gamble? No, I felt, I felt great about it. My, my target was to have a 15,000 double um, in Italian into Tarabi. That was always the goal to try and get to 55,000. A couple things went wrong. I don't want to get into the details of it, but I had to adjust and say, look, 35 grand is pretty dang close to winning this whole thing. So let's try and most time. I mean, I would have told you going in 55, you were overshooting. I feel like there's been one score in the last five years. That was that high. 35. I feel like wins at nine out of the last 10. Yeah. Yeah. The late gate scratch, uh, in the fourth or the fifth race, um, the one where implementation one, I had a, a, a nice size double, uh, that they paid consos to. So knocked the price down from like 91 to one down to 51 to one. Oof. And I, I think I had a chance to get there, but again, had to dance on my toes a little bit and, uh, sort things out and, uh, made one big swing. And I, I feel great. It's the same with the Breeders' Cup. My goal was a hundred thousand dollar bet on flight line to get to 140. And if someone snaps me, so be it. Um, cause at the end of the day, I, I can't predict what everyone's going to do, but I can't no, you come up that. with a goal and you, and you try to make it. And I'll tell you what, if you had told me that you, we had this conversation, I think before the last race. And I, I, I told you, I thought 35 would do it. And if you had told me at that point you were going to bet everything, uh, you could have theoretically bet a one-way double. Could have theoretically done the fifteen thousand dollar. Oh no, you couldn't because it was. You could have theoretically bet all your money at that point on Tarabi. But I would have told you you were insane when you had the opportunity to get to thirty-five betting three horses. I, I would have said it was nuts. And funny enough, I think the way the math breaks out, if you'd made that bet instead of if instead of betting, I mean, we've gone down the rabbit hole here, and I don't know if people know the whole history. I should have backed up. But what, what you ended up doing was taking three horses to win, betting the, the whole whatever you had, 17000 to yep. get back the even money return to get to the goal. If you'd bet all of it on Tarabi, 
your bet would have knocked that down where you still would have finished second. So yeah. I, I really think you played it right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's tough too. The imputed odds, something you and I haven't talked about, and we also need to get to a strawberry alarm clock that I've been saving for what the heck does that mean? But, <laughs> but um, the imputed odds uh, that were showing up in DRF for Tarabi were nine to five. So when I was placing my wagers, and I'll tell you what, uh, hitting repeat bet on $500 for 10000 is a lot easier than 97000 <laughs> But You and uh, your first world problems, Drew. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and so, right, what am I to do to think that that price is going to drift up to 5 to 2 There's no way uh, that I was going to be but it wouldn't. Have, but remember, it wouldn't have been 5 to 2 if you'd bet it all to win. It would have come down. Right, I, don't right. think, I, I really don't think you would have won. I think you still would have finished second and you would have taken, to my mind, an unacceptable amount of risk at that point. It's 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 fascinating. OK, so the strawberry alarm clock thing. It, can you you tell the listeners the tweet that I made and then I'll tell you what it means. Yeah, something about the fact that my my reoccurrence has uh, solidified that I'm not a one hit wonder. Yeah, well, and... that was it. That's the reference. You're no, you're not strawberry alarm clock. You know, if everybody know, well, not everybody. Old school rock fans know incense and peppermints. You know, good luck naming. Well, I have friends who could, but they're insane. Good luck for a non-insane person to name another strawberry alarm clock song. The point is, you're not a one-hit wonder. You now have, you know, this. You're clearly uh, at the beginning of your your contest runs here, and this this strategy. You know, I'll, I'll describe it as the you know the Matt Miller coaching tree and and this template for how to swing aggressively at your strongest opinions and win these tournaments uh you, you may have you may have a few more in you. you know, no one hit wonder indeed but yeah i was just using strawberry alarm clock as sort of the prototypical uh one hit wonder yeah well i hope they start calling me mick jagger and i'm at this age still dancing on the big stage <laughs> yes that is the opposite uh that is the opposite end of the spectrum hit after hit Still uh, gavotting out there on stage at, uh, geez, 75. How old is he now? I got to go see them. This I got to take my daughter to see, to see them before too long. All right. Let's talk about these races at Woodbine, my friend. We'll do the late pick four as we're wont to do, though very often we'll play these as doubles or in the wind pool as opposed to to playing a pick four. But, you know, again, it's it's sometimes these sequences, they're, they're just a nice way to frame the discussion. We'll start with race number six. We've got... An allowance race, three and up fillies and mares, going the flat five on the synthetic. Who do you like in here? Yeah, I like I think we're not going to see the morning line, but the number eight, Giver Knee, uh, at 10 to 1. I expect we'll see four to one on the day because it's Ward. Um, but the Ward trainer makes the second start of the year off the bench. And a very interesting runner with a race that um, that this race is frankly kind of missing speed, I, I see. And yeah. I, I'm going to excuse that last race as we see it all the time off the bench, has some speed and just doesn't have the stamina to see the job through. So Ward figures out how to get this one away from the gate well based on that last effort. I think there were some gate troubles in, in the second two back and three back. And I, I just don't see a lot of pace pressure. So I could easily see the number eight give, give her knee getting away. And then I'm just going to use a logical as a backup here of the number three fire and spice is fresh and continues to fire has an ability to sit off that pace or be up near it. And the only question mark is how does that golf stream form translate over to the woodbine surface? 
um, at five to two morning line, nothing else really scares me here. And I think could sit that perfect derail stocking trip. So I'm too deep. I'll use both as an A's. Um, if I were to be playing this for real, I, I don't have a strong opinion later on anything big. So if I were really trying to eke out some value, just single the eight, give or me, and uh, hope that the number three uh, fire and spice runs into some trouble. But for our selections here, we'll use two as A's. Yeah, and I think you might be right about Giverny taking a lot more money, but the Ward connection and uh, and just the obvious speed, maybe that'll preserve a little value on Fire and Spice. I was hoping that a runner like the 12, Bota Swing, with Kimura up would be ridden aggressively and maybe give Giverny something to think about and or Giverny might revert to the previous non-great breaking ways. I went with Fire and Spice as the lone horse I want to talk about in here. I like the recency, you mentioned the Florida form. Looking at time form race ratings, that race probably a little bit better than this one. I also thought the horse was a flow move up coming out of that one. I think Fire and Spice was taken out of her game a little bit, having to keep Parents Pride honest in that spot, who was an impressive wire-to-wire winner. Um, I think Fire and Spice here will be able to get the preferred, hopefully, stock and pound strip of him right about the 12 boat of spring. Don't mind at all the idea of uh, Gaverni as a backup, and I will actually list as a B because I really do think that's the other horse. And I think it's not an accident that you and I are both picking the two horses in this race who have anything resembling recent form. It's very hard when these meets come back. We saw it at Horseshoe Indy early in the week with the show we did with them. They're racing Saturday as well, by the way. But when everybody's coming off layoffs, it's it's very tricky and you definitely want to look for extra clues, whether it's an analysis of somebody looking at them in the paddock or looking at them on the screen on the TV or simply the betting market to give you some clues as to who might be ready to fire off the bench. But with our two here, the three and the eight, you know, at least they have some recency and that may give them an edge as we kick off this late pick four at Woodbine. Let's move to race number seven, where we've got made special weights going five and a half on the synthetic and a field of seven going postward. I thought that the number six, Alan Diggs, was the one I wanted in here. A horse who was a flow move up, I thought, coming out of the last race. That was a fast pace. And this just looks like a much easier group looking at time form U.S. race ratings going from a 97 down to an 85 here. And I think also Alan Diggs is going to get a great trip either on or near the lead in this spot. I thought it was the six. What do you like? Yeah, same thing. Uh, only thing I wanted to comment is that that last out race, Alan Diggs ran against uh, a golf stream on the uh, Maiden Claimers 40. Um, all of those are coming back fairly strong in the 60s and 70s buyers range. So I feel pretty confident here that this one will get a, a pretty easy trip and cold single for me. Isn't that interesting that the Maiden 40 golf stream comes back a higher race rating than the than the, than the maiden special here. I guess it's just the feet, the specifics of the field that's a, that's assembled in this spot that allows that. But yeah, the, saying it, I was blindly sort of trusting the numbers saying it out loud. It does seem weird that this race with its big purse would be, would be weaker, but uh, that's, that's the way the algorithm has it. And, and that's how we're seeing it going with Alan Diggs in this, uh, in this spot. Let's move on to race number eight. We've got a starter allowance for Phillies and Mares going five furlongs on the synth. Again, a, uh, a short field with just the six going postward. I was going to try to get a little bit cute. Who do you like? I like the number five Spanish Beauty at eight to one morning line, which I think that morning line is outrageous for the limited field that we're seeing here. And this horse seems to be the only one that has a decent chance of 
uh, speed as well. And I think the cutback should help carry that speed along and we'll need to be able to do something new. And I think that's going to be pressing the pace um, because there is an inside runner with Ward there that I just think is going to get away really fast. So I'm going to gamble that this lightly raced four-year-old can get the job done showing a new tactic of either being speed too wide or uh, pressing the trip a little bit. And then I'm going to use a backup of the number four sacred dancer at six to one. Again, another bit of a pace play. If the speed does heat up, um, could see this one getting very much up into the frame. Um, should be able to stock and I, I think have a decent trip here drawn inside to some of the speed. So the number four for me is a backup as Sacred Dancer six to one. So five, four with me, and I'm going to try and beat the heavy favorite of the number three, um, Mag Magniloquent. I'm Magniloquent, sure I think. Magniloquent. Magnil like, yeah, Magniloquent. I think we're going to go with that. I so. do think your horse, I'm hoping your horse, Spanish Beauty, can keep Magniloquent honest and set this up for a little bit of an off-the-pace run from number one, Living on Love. This horse is a guess in terms of if she'll be fit enough, but I thought the last race was better than it looked, closing well on a track that was favoring speed. And if that pace duel can shake out between the three and the five, and if it can be not a kind track, now usually the five, the five and a half, they are kind enough to speed at Woodbine. But, you know, again, if they can if they can hook up and or if the track can be playing a little bit to off the pace. I mean, Living on Love, the problems are obvious. One for 16, you know, but I think this horse could legit be um, six to one and, and have a chance to get the job done. So I was going to mess around and then I will probably play underneath both the three and the five in this spot. But in terms of a key, the horse I'm interested in is the number one living on love. One more race to talk about $15,000 claimers, Phillies and mares three and up five on the synthetic field of eight going postward. How do you want to close this thing out in race number nine? Yeah, two simple horses again. Um, the number one, Quiet uh, Mendelina at 8-1. to one. Uh, Early speed, two back. Um, today gets a big drop-in class with four solid works and a bug jockey aboard. And um, Sometimes when I see bug jockeys, I think in, in my head, the trainer's saying, okay, let's not make this more complicated than it needs to be. Go to the lead. And if you finish last, that's okay. Uh, but I want you on the lead, uh, which in a five furlong, wide open N2L event is not a bad way to go. And then the number four know-how dropping in level off the break and should be a perfect pressing trip with the two inside horses having some speed where the one and the two seem to be where that all that comes. And I think the figures fit on form as well. And three to one morning line on that number four is not bad. So I'll be going too deep on the A line there in this one with the number one and the number four. I was all about know-how, just a very big figure edge, I thought. And as you point out, also a great trip from either the second flight or mid-pack. I'll be backing know-how to hopefully get the money as we close things out at Woodbine. Drew, good chance, good to, to talk to you and uh, catch up a little bit about the, the nice run at Keeneland. We've got, uh, I'm not sure if this segment will air before or after, but Paul Halloran will be on to do a little bit of Keeneland elsewhere in the show. And we'll be hopefully having you back regularly, uh, not just on the Woodbine segments here, but also on Horse Player Happy Hour. We've had uh, a lot of questions about when that will return. First show will be the week before Belmont. So we're going to have that back, and we'll want you to mark your calendars. Thursday from 4 to 5 every week, we'll give you all the details. But one of the best deals in contest with the, the 20000 in value added to that prize pool. Try to 
punch your ticket and see if you can be the one to dethrone Drew Coatney in this year's Breeders' Cup betting challenge. Drew, uh, any final thoughts? Were you ready to uh, get out of here and get on with your weekend? No, no, I'm, I'm excited for the, the Triple Crown Trail that's coming up. The Express Bet has a, a big contest for the Derby Day, which I think is going to be fun to get involved in and uh, see what kind of magic we can make happen uh, from, from our couch. Won't be, won't be heading to uh, Kentucky, but excited to, for the action that's coming. So Derby Fever is upon us, and we'll be it's, doing plus write-ups on every yeah. horse again. Yeah. So if you're not a plus member, sign up for that. Yeah, it's a great time of year. It's worth it just for the Derby package. And yeah, you can almost think of it as just just buy the Derby package. You, you, you do that by getting a month of plus. But I mean, it's tremendous value. And you'll be doing some extra write-ups on there as well, right? Are you going to do some bankroll-related stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I think some beatable favorites on the Derby Day card. And then we can we can talk about if I, I didn't have that on my radar, but happy to do some bankroll um simulated contest strategy i'll have to be a little cheeky about the whole thing because i don't hey, want to give Breeders you, Cup, you laid out the whole strategy and uh, it uh it didn't hurt you any so maybe you want to do that again <laughs> yeah i do i do part of my normal uh workflow actually thanks to woodbind is actually doing write-ups so for keeneland i had a full write-up about how much i hated portfolio company which at the end of the day i got extremely lucky that portfolio <laughs> had a trip um, so yes. I, I won't say that, but yeah, we, it is not a lot of extra work on my end to, to start publishing some things. All right. We'll talk more about how we're going to incorporate that. Um, yeah, I think it's Tyler who does the bankroll stuff for, for Derby. I think the beatable favorites was what we had you down for, but anyway, there's going to be a ton of great content. Let's leave it at that, including all of the grid picks is by far the most popular thing. Also fun news, Vanessa Ryle is going to be coming over to help us with our uh, Derby coverage this year. So if you need any paddock advice, Drew, you can, you can ask, uh, the two of us will be, will be on hand. Well, I'm going to have my hands full. I've got uh, Perrin, Susan, and my mom, but uh, there'll, there'll surely be some trips out to the paddock. If you have any that, that does <laughs> seem like a handful to juggle, but Hey, what, what better way to do it? Oh, it's going to be fun. We're going to have uh, Jen is going to be in the mix. So Matt's going to be out there. We we've got a whole we got a whole crew. Um, it's going to be a great great weekend and tons of coverage here and over on our YouTube channel. All right, we got people waiting in the green room, so I'm going to leave it there, Drew. But uh, congrats again, and we'll be talking soon. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Want to thank all of today's guests as well as our founding partners, Ten Strike Racing. And of course, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Hey, just a reminder, we got lots of events coming up. You can find the events I'm going to be doing out at Chestnut Hall Farm, including the whiskey tasting on a Tuesday the 2nd and the breakfast on May 4th over at trfinc.org players. We've also got a live event in Lexington Wednesday night at Malone's, the event space in Palomar, and also Thursday night at the Galt House. Going to be making sure we publicize those events with links soon. Feel free to reach out to me if you want to secure your tickets for those. Most of all, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business managers, Drew Cotney, our chief creative officer, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos!